this morning I failed to mention that uh, I appreciate Brother Steve and Brother Brian preaching last week as I had taken a week of vacation and both of them did a tremendous job in preaching God's Word and I remember someone coming out saying you need to be very careful said uh, there's a lot of people waiting in the wings with talent and ability and uh, I said that's great and that's true and you know the greatest compliment that you could pay a preacher is the fact that wherever he works the people are well taught and capable and so I consider it an honor that we've got so many talented people here who can preach and teach God's word and do so because they love God and because they want to teach his will. And on Sunday evenings, it's been my purpose for some time now to preach on some moral issues. And tonight, I want to address the subject of greed and covetousness. Society seems to be obsessed with this idea of greed. You may not think so, but I really believe they are. For instance, this past week, the Powerball Lottery, and if you haven't heard of that, it's because you haven't had your television turned on. Two people will split $587 million. I went to a convenience store and I was about to buy a Diet Dr. Pepper and a lady pointed on the counter up there and there's a little lottery ticket sample and it says over $500 million. She said, you need to buy some. I said, I'm better at math than that. And uh, I really should have said, I don't believe in it. But the truth is, our society is obsessed with being rich, being wealthy, and having lots of money. The Bible portrays this attitude as opposed to God and thus must be renounced. If you listened carefully, as Brother Corey read to us from Psalm 10, beginning with verse 1 going through verse 6, he said, They bless the greedy. We have come to a point in our society where we bless greedy people. We're saying they're doing a good job. They're pursuing something worthwhile to be rich. Listen to Psalm 10, 1 through 3 again. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots they have devised. For the wicked boast of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. I'm afraid that's what our society has become. Jesus put it very simple in Matthew chapter 6 beginning with verse 19. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If the most important thing in life to you is making money, that's where your treasure's at. That's where your heart is. That's what you live for. And then Jesus puts it in verse 24 so plain. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one 
and love the other, else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon's the Aramaic word for money. You can't serve God and money. You have to make your mind up which one it is that you will pursue at all costs. This is a moral issue. And it deserves some study on our part. Oh yes, we talk about moral issues. When I preach on the subject of homosexuality, there are a lot of you who will say, let them have it. I can't believe such ungodly abomination is tolerated in our country right now. When I talk about alcohol abuse, many of you will say, yes, that's a scourge on our society. Preach at them. But then when we talk about greed and covetousness, people will say, was that really an issue? Is that really a problem? Is that something you need to be preaching about? Well, I want to begin with an explanation of greed. Then I want to give some examples of greed. And then finally to discuss the eradication of it from our lives. Let's begin, first of all, with some of the words the Bible uses. In fact, if you wanted to, you could take the word greed or the word covetous. And you could begin to look at a number of synonyms that appear in the Bible. And I'm just going to present to you a few of them. For instance... The word covet, it means the, an unbridled desire to have. In fact, the original word in the New Testament is a compound word. The first part of it is the idea of having or wanting. And then the second part of it is to have. I want to have. Give me something. It's an unbridled desire Another word that goes along with that is the word envy. And it's a resentment what other ha others have with the desire to have it for ourselves. You have a new car and I'm envious of you. Not only do I want your car, I don't want you to have it. That's what envy involves. Jealousy is an intense negative feeling toward others' success. You have something good happen to you. You do well. Then if I'm jealous of you, I, I resent that. I resent that. <clears throat> Sometimes we don't want to talk about it. But bribes. These are something given in exchange for one's judgment. When someone bribes someone else, they are giving him something. And do you know that flattery is a form of bribery? When someone <coughs> bribes someone else, they try to get them on their side and don't believe, don't think that bribery does not happen in our country today. It's just much more sophisticated than it is in other countries. It happens in elections when people begin to say, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. And it is used as something to render one's judgment. A companion to that is extortion. That is to rob someone by threat or intimidation. We tend to think of those places perhaps in large cities up north where someone will come by and make somebody pay protection money. But you have to understand that anybody 
who puts pressure on someone to do something and extracts money from them by those threats or intimidation are involved in extortion. The Bible also describes those who love money. In fact, there's a word that is found in several places which talks about people who love money. Let me give you an example or two. In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10, Paul writes, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and has pierced themselves through with many sorrows. People who love money are greedy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And then he goes on with another litany of items to go with this. Does it not describe to a T our generation in our country? The people among whom we live and to some degree even ourselves. Luke 16 verse 14. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard these things and they derided him. They're people who when they hear you talk about things like this, they will begin to immediately say, hey, I love money. You mean you don't like money? You mean somebody offered you money, you wouldn't take it? You mean if, if you somebody offered you a raise, you wouldn't say, yeah, I'll take that? You see, everybody wants to try to put this in a terms to make loving money okay. It becomes idolatry. Colossians 3, 5, Therefore put to death your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, now notice this, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, we talked about these moral issues. Is fornication a moral issue? Sure it is. Is evil desire and covetousness a moral issue? It is because it exalts itself against God. Greed begins in our hearts. That's where it starts at. In 2 Peter 2 and verse 14, Peter says that these people having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. How do you train Someone in covetousness. I'd suggest to you that's our society. You, you look at your television and you're being told that life is all about having more and more and more. And that if you don't desire it, something's wrong with you. In James 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. 
Where does covetousness originate? In me. In you. When I let myself choose to do that which I ought not to choose to do. If I allow myself to lust after physical things, whether it is sexual things or whether it is material things, that that becomes an obsession with me, that conceived in my heart becomes sin. Keep nourishing it, keep growing it. When it becomes full grown, it becomes death. Proverbs 4.23, Solomon says, Wisely, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it it springs the issues of life. Do I have to watch my heart? Yes. Do you have to watch your heart? Yes. We each have to make sure that I'm, I'm doing the right thing for the right reason. And that involves money as well. And you need to guard your heart in many areas. I tried to look at this subject and make sure it was biblical, make sure that it addressed the full spectrum of what the Bible presents. And I'm going to be honest with you, the very best way to approach it, in my judgment, is to begin with some examples. To simply go through the Bible and pull out people, bring them out and show them this is the way they were motivated in life. For instance, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel were making their journey toward the promised land. And Balak, king of Moab, wanted to do something to slow the children of Israel down. In fact, he wanted to uh, cause them to fall as a nation. So he sent and hired a man by the name of Balaam to come and to curse the children of Israel. If you go to 2 Peter 2.15, we learn about him. They have forsaken the right, right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. I learned something about him here. He loved that money. He wanted people to hire him to do something that was ungodly. Here comes the children of Israel. Is he willing to curse them? Most certainly he's willing. God just won't let him. But now let me take you a little bit further. When I go to Numbers 22, 5 and 6, I see his desire of what he wants to do. God has thwarted his cursing ability. But what he does beyond that is just even more deplorable. What Balaam does is to say to Balak, I can't curse these people. God won't let me. But let me tell you what you can do. You can take these loose women, turn them loose in the acacia grove, and then you let them allure and solicit the children of Israel. And these men are going to commit fornication with them. And when they do, God's going to become angry with them. And God will himself punish them. Listen to verses 5 and 6 of Numbers 22. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of the people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come up from Egypt, and see, they cover the face of the earth, and they're settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once and curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. 
Perhaps I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know whom you bless is blessed and whom you curse is cursed. And then I get to Numbers 31, 16. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Beor, or Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. You see, I know why now Peter says that he loved the wages of unrighteousness. He looked for a way to cause God's people to be cursed. He'd do anything for money. There's a lot of people who do anything for money. The next man I'd like to draw your attention to is found in Joshua chapter 7. His name is Achan. The children of Israel, when they went to conquer the land, went first to the city of Jericho. God told the people at Jericho not to take anything out of that city, that it was all devoted to the Lord. However, a man by the name of Achan did take stuff. Because he did take it, God caused the defeat of the children of Israel at the city of Ai. And you get to Joshua 7, 20 and 21, and Achan is exposed and answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And here they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Notice, I coveted them. I was greedy for them. I wanted them. And I took them. Greed controlled Achan. Look at Saul. King Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, God had instructed through the prophet Samuel that they were to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. They were to utterly destroy. But verses 8 and 9, he also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were utterly unwilling to destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Why did they preserve this and destroy that? That's worth something. We're not going to destroy that. I suggest to you it's greed that's at the base of this. Come to the New Testament. Judas Iscariot. Judas made a bargain for Jesus. We read in Matthew 26, verses 15 and 16, and he said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver, so from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. 30 pieces of silver. Thirty silver coins. I'll betray Jesus. Really? For thirty pieces of silver, the Son of God, you're going to turn him over to these people that you know are going to kill him? 
Is that all the life of our Savior was worth? But you see, some people will do anything for money. This wasn't the only time Judas had this problem. In John chapter 12, they're about ready to anoint the body of Jesus. This woman's going to anoint him. Judas doesn't like that. John records, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this not fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. He wanted the money put in the money box. Why? He wanted to take something out for himself. Greed was controlling Judas. That's the reason why he would sell Jesus. It's all about the money. Come a little bit later in the church era. And you'll meet a man by the name of Simon. He is a sorcerer. And Acts 8, verses 18 through 20, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that on anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. I want this ability. I'll pay you for that ability. So I can be able to give it to others. Guess what he's probably going to do with it? He's going to sell it. He's going to make more money out of it. One more example, Felix. You remember when Paul was arrested? He was arrested and accused falsely of having brought a Gentile into the temple. And he made his defense before the governor, Felix. Acts 24, verse 25 says he reasoned with him concerning righteousness, judgment, and self-control. And Felix was terrified. And he said, go your way when I have a convenient season. I'll call for you. Very next verse now. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him the more often and conversed with him. Well, I see something here. Felix was greedy. I want a bribe. You got to pay me some money, Paul, and I, then I'll see that you're released. Paul wouldn't do that. He's not going to co- cooperate with greed. Now, how can I get rid of this in my life? You know, if I if I honestly understand that the Bible teaches me not to love money. Not to be greedy for money. Then I've got to look and see if there's some principles that are involved in Scripture that will help me not be greedy. And the first one is love for others. In Romans 13 and verse 9, Paul says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to do anything to him to try to take what is his. The problem is sometimes we just don't love people. 
We're willing to take advantage of them. We're willing to uh, skin them in a deal, as we would say. Take advantage of somebody just because we can. Second of all is contentment. Oh, that's really hard sometimes. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. We read, let your conduct be without covetousness. Content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's a fine line between ambition and covetousness. There's a fine line between a person who is trying to do the right thing for the right reason and a person who is just simply trying to attain all the wealth that they can. Part of our problem is we don't trust God. We trust our own ability. No, really, we trust the money. You give me enough money and I don't have to worry about God. Oh, but that carries me all the way back to Psalms 10. The greedy renounces the Lord. I don't need him. Our greed is based on the fact that we trust money more than we trust God. Number three is prayer. Yes, we need to be the kind of people who ask God to be with us. Listen to James 4, 1 through 3. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war and you have not because you ask not or do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Yes, if we pray to God and we ask for reasonable things, yes, God's willing to bless us. But our problem is sometimes we look at God as the, quote, Santa Claus in the sky. And some of the television preachers have come off with this idea is, oh, if you will just simply give God this money, you're going to get a new car and a new house and vacations and second homes and all these wonderful things. No, you don't ask God for all these luxuries. You ask God for the necessities. A fourth thing is learning the proper value of things. What they're really worth. In Luke twelve fifteen, and he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. As you stand before God, God is not going to ask you how much money you have in the bank or had in the bank. God's not going to ask you how many acres of land that you owned. God is not going to ask you how much of a stock portfolio you were able to build. God is going to look at you and judge you according to what you have done, according to his word, let me tell you, there's some people who have not had a cent to their name 
who I know are in paradise. Lazarus is one of them. See, sometimes we value the wrong things. In Matthew 16, 26, Jesus put it like this. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Is there a dollar amount that someone could offer you tonight and say, I'll give you the $587 million if you will now renounce the Lord and never go back to church a day in your life? Would that tempt you? If you took that money, you could probably never have to work another day in your life if you didn't want to. You could probably buy just about anything in life that you could want, including friends, the fair-weather friends. But on the day of judgment, you would give every last penny of that and say, oh, but if I could only have my soul back. Because my soul is eternal. This money only lasts for so long. But there the soul never dies. The moral thing for us to do is to appreciate all that God has given us and use it wisely. Has God given us food to eat, clothes to wear, homes to live in, jobs to make money to provide for our family and our future? Sure. Sure. Use it wisely. But recognize we're just simply stewards of it. It's not really ours. The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. It really all belongs to Him after all anyway. One should never let possessions become His God. You get to the point where there's nothing that you're willing to... If you have something that you're not willing to part with under any set of circumstances... It's something that you've got so near and dear to your heart, it's time for you to get rid of it now. Because you don't want to make a God out of any possession that you have. You know, we come to the end of a lesson, and the purpose of these lessons is to teach God's Word, but they're also to draw our minds to focus on changing our lives. Some of us here tonight need to surrender everything to God. That is, we need to be willing to say, I give up. I give in. Or as a song we sometimes sing, I surrender all. If that's your case, and you need to give up your stubborn will and your desires to serve the Lord, you're not a Christian. You can come to God on His terms, believing in His Son, repenting of your sins, confessing that faith, and being baptized. If you are one of God's children, sometimes it's tough. We have to admit that we've made mistakes. and It's time for us to make them right. If you need to respond tonight, would you come as we stand and sing?